Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IRI Growth Insights. I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Gregory Curtis Jr. to the podcast to speak with me about the importance and the value of multicultural marketing. Greg is Director of Emerging Media and Influencer Marketing at IRI. And in the past year, he's hosted a webinar um, called Unleash the Power of Multicultural Influencer Marketing. And he's published a blog on the power of multicultural marketing. You can find both of those at our website, iriworldwide.com. Clearly, this is a topic that you're passionate about, Greg. So thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. I'm super grateful to be here. And I think that this is a very fundamental conversation for all of my colleagues within the industry, whether you are an executive that sits within the diversity space the marketing comm, ad space, uh, tech, C-level executives. This is a conversation that we all need to be having pertaining um, our business and bottom line. Oh, could not agree more. So given your role and some of the things that you've published over the past year, you argue that multicultural marketing isn't a fad, it's not a trend, it's an urgent priority. So kind of tell us more about that. Absolutely. Joan, the reason why I say it's a priority is that the nation has shifted and the dynamic of how we formerly saw America, that's just not what it's going to be moving forward. And so I welcome all of my executives, colleagues, industry experts, just like when you go to the doctor, if you've avoided a problem for a while, this is the script. This is the diagnosis. We have to lean in. This is urgent. It is critical to our business and bottom line that we start to take uh, this very serious and understanding that the symbols that we once held on to as general marketing initiatives, they are dated. They are no longer going to be practical for our business. They are no longer going to be setting up our organizations for success. They are no longer going to be convincing the audiences that we want to consume and to really engage with our neat and awesome products or messaging. Like, hey, that that stuff is gone. And so I think it's super important and imperative now that we lean in, we engage in these conversations. Sure, we're behind. That's okay. Sure, we're going to make mistakes and make some missteps. Hey, that is okay. But as long as we're being authentic and really making ourselves an open source for information and inviting some really challenging conversations about how we need to grow and expand moving forward, that's really what it's about, Joan, because yeah. multicultural audiences is not a fad. It is here and it is urgent and critical for everyone's organization to lean in. You know, you mentioned the whole lean in and, and you raise a couple really valid points. First, as, as a personal approach to anything, I'm one of those people who needs to take it in baby steps. Like I can't, if I were to go to that doctor and I were to get that diagnosis, I'd be like, okay, I can't go from zero to 60. And that's exactly what I hear you saying. Um, at the same time, you know, I work a lot with our new product pay setters. And over the years, we've seen those big launches 
um, you know, the $100 million launches and stuff really scaled back. I think to your point, they're more focused, you know, they're more targeted to the right audience. And so now I want to dig in with you about some of those younger audiences and stuff. And you mentioned like the face of America is changing and we have a younger, more multicultural audience. Um, so how is it that multicultural uh, marketing is, I mean, is that only going to resonate with those younger consumers or, you know, how is that going to shake out across generations? Center the customer. I think it is vital that you center the customer. I really want to just keep it as simple as possible. I don't want to overcomplicate this. I think that for marketers, executives, for C-level executives that are trying to acquire the right talent inbound so that they can have the right face outbound and the right messaging outbound, center the customer. When you think about previous generations like the baby boomer generation, um, I know that like my father and my mom, they're very like collective. They're also kind of revolutionary and idealistic. Gen X was more materialistic and competitive and individualistic. Gen Y, the millennial generation, my people, we're a little bit more globalist, we're inquisitive, we're oriented to ourselves. And when you think about this new generation, Gen Z, I love them. They're undefined. They are dialogue oriented. They are realistic. They're also a call out generation. They believe in ethics and uniqueness. They want you to show up as your authentic self. So what I'm simply saying to anyone and everyone that wants to have this conversation with their customer, center your customer. Don't overcomplicate this. It is super imperative to understand your customer, um, to really understand their needs, their wants, their desires. And then in that process, you can expand them. You can stretch their capacity once you have an understanding of your customer. So I want to talk a little bit about Gen Z. I just happened to, um, part of my summer reading was I read a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Um, that's by Jean Twenge. Great book. But in, from that book, you know, Gen Z, they kind of let just want people to live their lives. They don't want to be too focused on color or sexuality. How does your vision of Gen Z as the most multicultural generation kind of jive with that notion of letting people just be who they are and not focusing or over-focusing on race or sexuality? Absolutely. So I think that for Gen Z, what I love about them is that they grew up in a global flat society. They are connected to all of the digital assets and social media networks. So to them, um, sexuality, race or color, um, it doesn't seem to be an issue. However, while not seeing race has its advantages, of course, we do see race. And while not seeing people's gender expression or sex expression is, uh, you know, something that we really just want everyone to have the autonomy and grace to exist with, we still see it. And so because of this, it's super important to have these conversations because Gen Z wants to see themselves in the marketing comm space, which is why 
you know, Gen Z leans in so heavy with influencer marketing. Influencers create these really cool uh, social media communities. And these communities have value systems, desires, needs, goals, similarities, or they have aspiration. And so because of that, you know, you find that Gen Z, they trust uh, a certain type of influencer. So not these mag massive macro influencers that are pushing product, but really, you know, it's more of the micro and um, very specific oriented or interest oriented influencers that they're paying attention to because they trust them. They've been a part of that growth. They've been a part of that authentic message, uh, that value system, that integrity, that authentic message. And I think that that's the difference, really. I think that Gen Z wants people to be, they want you to be, you know, a Latin X disabled queer, you know, first generation American. They want you to have that, but they also want visibility. They want to see it. They want to be able to connect to it. And I think that this is really an opportunity uh, for a lot of marketing and ad executives in general to really start to really Revaluate their framework of what general marketing means. And this is actually where I invite more of, uh, social, um, and social justice lens to this, this type of conversation. Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a professor, um, at Columbia University Law in New York City, came up with this framework called intersectionality. And I think that when you think about compounding identities and yes, that framework is used from an oppression perspective, but we can actually use that same framework and be super successful in marketing. Um, and I think that if you think about what it means to center the customer, what does it mean to center the customer? If I want to get in front of a certain demographic and I want them to have visibility, well, what does it mean to be, you know, a mixed race, overweight, you know, disabled queer person? They don't get the visibility, you know, in the mass media or even in certain segments. So they may lean into, you know, influencer marketing because that's a very specific experience. That's a very specific um, conversation. And this is why I really think that if we're going to have conversations around multicultural marketing and understanding why it's not a fad or a trend, it's really about seeing people for who they are and where they stand. And I think that's what Gen Z really wants, um, wants for everyone. You know what? That is so brilliantly said, Greg. Um, I know IRI has done a couple of re big reports on um, equal or equitable representation in media and how particularly with women and girls across different generations, you know, they want to be seen authentically, but you just took it down so much deeper into so many more, like the intersectionality, as you said, of all these different issues that people have and how influencers can really build and bring those communities together. So that is super powerful right there. So I want to dig in a little bit into those six elements that you recommended that any marketer consider for like a really successful campaign. And if you could, you know, as you take us through these things like do your homework, commit to the relationship, et cetera, if you could kind of help us see what that looks like in the real world, you know, maybe kind of tell some of the stories behind them, if you will, or how they come to life. So let's start out with do your homework. 
And I think you already started schooling us on intersectionality, but let, let's talk about do your homework. Absolutely. And, I, and we can continue that. I think that, again, using Kimberly, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's framework of intersectionality, which, again, is a social um, context for social justice of what it means to be Black, Brown, um, disabled, queer, um, woman, male, trans, all of these things, right? All of these different labels, disabled, you throw all of these things in a bucket. Um, so what I am going to say is when you go to do your homework, research as much as you can about the audience. And I want you to use that framework of intersectionality. I actually invite you and encourage you to do it because then you'll be able to understand, oh my God, I myself have a level of intersectionality. Yes, I may be a cis heterosexual white male, but I'm actually first generation or second generation. And that was an, a very unique experience for me being a Polish immigrant, you know, or the child of a Polish immigrant growing up, you know, on the South side of Chicago working class. Like there's a level of intersectionality there that we can deconstruct and contextualize and have a very specific conversation that you may want to have visibility for. And like no ads were ever showing me. Well, yeah, there were also no show, you know, ads showing Karen, you know, who grew up also on the South side of Chicago, who, you know, had a disabled mother and she herself had a disability or a learning disability and, you know, exist as a multiracial person. So having these very inclusive and culturally inviting conversations makes your outreach that much more specific, that much more tailored, that much more precise. It allows for the brand to really become something that we memorize and commemorate. And what I mean by that is think about your childhood and you got your happy meal. You were so happy because you got a happy meal. Well, the happy meal was something very specific and tailored to a very specific audience. And it came with a very specific initiative and even a toy. And so with that being said, um, I really just want you to do your homework, research as much as you can. That really means getting as granular as possible while also figuring out how to do a lift to mobilize that specific audience as well. Well, that is um, pretty interesting. And thanks for like the throwback memory there too, um, because that does help, you know, these little stories really help us connect with what does that look like? And Happy Meals, I mean, you say it's a specific audience, but hey, that was a big audience. And you know, for some of these products and stuff, it might be a more tailored audience. Um, and what I do like is IRI is able to kind of help companies identify and target those audiences. So that's a separate conversation. Um, how about commit to the relationship? And I think I, I have a couple examples to share here, but commit to the relationship. What does that look like? I guess it's not just a one and done, but what does that mean? Yeah, so when I say commit to the relationship, I really want all the brands and, you know, corporations and even small to medium-sized businesses to understand if you want to, you know, center, you know, Asian month or Latinx month or Black History Month or LGBTQ month or maybe, you know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month or Lupus Awareness Month, it's about having an ongoing conversation with those specific communities. It's about being representative and conversations that they're having very authentic and true to them yearly, not just for four weeks during a month. And I think that by having consistent messaging, being present, 
at conventions or, um, you know, ceremonies or uh, events that have historical or significant impact to these particular audiences, it really helps shows your investment in seeing them succeed. And I, I love to reference Skittles, actually. I think that Skittles, um, you know, for Pride Month, they actually took away their rainbow and they took away their rainbow so that the queer audiences could have their rainbow. And we love that. And then in addition to doing that, they actually donated over a hundred and something thousand dollars to GLAD and over a hundred and something thousand dollars to three other organizations throughout the country for queer specific interest and need. And I think that that shows a commitment to the relationship that shows a commitment to uh, their brand, their messaging and how they show up. You know, I like the example of um, Target Corp. And I think it goes back to the comment that you made earlier about the month, you know, the month of celebrating whatever. And of course, we've got Black History Month, but I feel like Target has taken it further. You know, Target has really committed to supporting Black-owned businesses, and they're calling them out in their stores, not just in February, but in, you know, all throughout the year. And I just, I really applaud that because it's, it's being, it is definitely committing to the relationship. So, and for me, that I also think that that speaks to um, something that I've heard you talk about before, which is that fifteen um, percent. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So, believe it or not, I love that you brought up Target. Um, I love Target uh, because Target actually decided to commit to a two billion dollar Black-owned business initiative, um, and they're going to be rolling that over the next few years. Um, with that also being said. The 15% pledge uh, was founded by Aurora James uh, during the height of civil unrest at the height of the pandemic. Um, we were all locked in a house. People were really upset at the climate of the culture. And Aurora James noticed that a lot of organizations were saying, hey, we stand by Black people. We stand by Black Lives Matter. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And while that was a very great conversation and solidarity Solidarity was showcased in that moment. Aurora James was like, wait a minute, but most of you all do not actually pour into these communities or these audiences or even have product that is owned or ran or operated by Black people. And so since Black people represent 15% of the U.S. population, she came up with the 15% pledge. And I'm happy to announce that we actually support quite a few of the retailers, one of those retailers being Ulta Beauty, that is a part of the 15% pledge. And even here at IRI, senior leadership like Boris and some of the other uh, folks, including yourself, Joan, came together and started DAP, which is a diversity advantage program that really allows for small to medium-sized businesses, wherever you sit within the intersections, whether you are disabled, whether you are a woman, whether you are queer, whether you are Black or brown, we see you. We want to support your business. We want to give you access to all of this excellent, exclusive premier data that IRI has to help support your business and introduce you to other retailers to expand your business. And that exactly is what I mean when I say standing by your audience, committing to the relationship, keeping the conversation going, and really seeing them get from point A to Z. And that's ultimately what Gen Z is demanding of organizations as well as millennials. Yeah, thanks for that shout out on DAP, which is a growing program here at IRI. And it's great to see some of the successes of those small businesses. So, oh, thanks, Greg. Um, so, so beyond commitment, I love, you know, speaking your audience's language. 
And this, I think, is really going to call for some authenticity because appropriation is also a very, you know, right? So tell us a little (laughs) bit. Not a lot about that, John. (laughs) So, you know, when I say speak your audience language, I mean, language has nuance. And so, for example, I sit within quite a bit of intersections myself. I am African-American. I am Puerto Rican. I am also a part of the queer experience. And so I have a lot of framework and a lot of really cool language that I can pull from. And uh, what's really cool about language is that it consistently changes. And the use case, depending on the audience, may have a different meaning. So it's super imperative that when you are targeting a certain audience, you understand the dynamics of the culture of that audience. So for example, I love to use queer audiences because it's so nuanced. They're like, oh girl. And they're actually talking to a young man or they may be talking to someone that you're like, well, that's not a girl. Well, it does not matter. In that experience, <laughs> in that audience, it doesn't matter. They they have fun with language. They make it more expansive. They stretch its capacity. And also when I say speak your audience language, I invite you to have conversations that they're having that may be uncomfortable. Procter & Gamble really knocked it out of the park with having a very specific conversation as a whole with the Black community with My Black is Beautiful and hashtag talk about bias and really inviting the Black community to let them know not only do we stand in solidarity, we, we see you, you know, little black girl trying to find the perfect shade match. We see you, little black boy, leaving the convenience store with a hoodie and the police targeting you. We see you, you know, mom who's nervous about dropping her baby off first day of school. We see you. And that's a very, and, and the talk is an, it's a conversation. It's a conversation very specific to black people, like that they have with their children. That's very uncomfortable for their children. That kind of keeps them, you know, like, and it's a reality for a very specific demographic. And isn't it also an education for other demographics to be aware of the tough conversations that these parents shouldn't have to have with their children? Absolutely. But- and again, using Kimberly Crenshaw's intersex intersectionality, these are conversations that everyone's having. Mothers are having with their child that may have just shared with them that they're queer. You know, parents that may be worried about their disabled child, you know, being treated fairly in school. These are all, all of these conversations are happening. So you've already talked a little bit about the power of influence, you know, particularly around, um, again, intersectionality, which I think is going to be the the high or the headline for this podcast. But um, you mentioned influencers bringing together these different communities or being able to target specific audiences or speaking to maybe not even targeting, just speaking to these specific audiences. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how some marketers can leverage those influencers for their own marketing efforts. Absolutely. So um, I encourage all of my marketing and ad com folks to really understand that micro influencers, it's really where it's at. Um, They now make up about 91% of the market share of the sector of influencer marketing. And the reason why is that it allows for a very built-in audience that is effective and efficient and also cost-effective. But more importantly, it is extremely targeted. I can't even highlight how targeted it is. So if you're a sports apparel line, you know, 
we could get rid of, you know, just throwing money at the Kardashians and saying, hey, where, where are these for us? Because we know that they're product pushers and it's no shade to the Kardashians. Love y'all all. But the reality is, you know, I would much rather follow, you know, a young lady who I saw, you know, lose, you know, 60 pounds after having her first child. And, you know, she also may be queer, Latinx, first generation and a foodie. So she may hit me in more than one way. She may be Latinx. She may be queer. She may also have this fitness journey and she's a foodie. So there's a level of ways that we can have conversations as marketers with her and her audience that really resonates. It's more authentic. It feels real. It's not just, you know, a product pusher. And so I really invite, um, I invite marketers uh, just as a whole to find find a voice that makes sense for their brand and really make sure that the audience makes sense and allow us to help you. You know, we're really good at that too. I mean, that's that's my whole role. <laughs> and, and I think part of it is, you know, honing the message. It's like, or if you know what your product is and if you know who your audience is, then you can go after the right influencer to kind of help you reach that community that you want to target. So it is, it's, it's making these marketers kind of pause and step back and say, what do we represent? Who are we here to support? And then how do we get to them? Absolutely. And I think that it, it allows for more tailored messaging. I think that's pretty much what you just highlighted. And more importantly, it's centering the customer. At the end of the day, I really want to make sure that we're centering the customer. And I think that general marketing or uh, general marketing advertising, it, it's a broad brushstroke, but I think that Gen Z does not want to be sold to. Yeah. And I think that that is the challenge that marketers are really going to have to understand. Long are the days of a one, one, one reel or one, you know, spot is going to knock everyone out the park. No, it doesn't work that way anymore. We live in the digital age. None of us are really consuming TV at the capacity that we used to. We have a thousand and one ways to avoid commercials. So you have to be that excellent. You have to be that specific in getting your message to me. Well, and Yep, I get I completely get that. You know, like I said, we look at forecasting and we um really encourage companies to be realistic about their forecasts because we're not living in that world anymore, as you said. You know, we're not living in the you know mass market world anymore. So be really focused on your forecasting, um, be realistic about who your audience is and how you support them. So Digging in a little bit more um, into understanding the diversity, I think maybe you've you've touched on this so much. So maybe this is a quick hit of that diversity within the specific target markets. And I think that that is, again, where the center of the customer and that intersectionality, um, you know, that people have nuances, right? Or there are nuances to every single human being. Can you give us an example of maybe how a marketer has has leveraged the diversity within a specific market? When I say understand the diversity within your specific targets, um, what I really want to highlight is our DAP program. Boris um, is so dope. He's actually accepted uh, Fashion Fair slash Black Opal, um, Desiree Rogers and Cheryl Bamir-Kissick's business. Black Opal is now going to be a part of the IRI cohort for DAP. Uh, but with that being said, one of the other brands they own is Fashion Fair. And what's so cool about Fashion Fair is it's this legacy brand. It was founded by Eunice Johnson, uh, owner um, of Ebony and Jet Magazine, these historical things for Black Americans. But it really became a prize position 
dispossession for Black women throughout the diaspora. Black women in Jamaica, Black women in you know um, Nigeria, Black women in the UK, Black women on the south side of Chicago. All of these girls had one thing in common. They couldn't find their shade match when they went to the local Walgreens, CVS, Target, etc. And now, you know, they brought back this historical brand, but when they went live with their activation this time, they did it with influencer marketing. And within this ethnic marketing spectrum, they had young beauty influencers, podcast influencers, you know, plus size model influencers. They had a disabled young lady and they even had a few non-Black uh, women throughout the diaspora. So they invited, you know, their brown and dark skin sisters in India, in Asia, and in South America to the conversation because they understood, hey, we all have one thing in common. We want to look great. We want to find great products, good, healthy, clean, product, but we also want to make sure that we see ourselves in the ad com experience. And Fashion Fair did an excellent job with that. Black Opal, um, you know, the brand that we're going to be supporting, does an excellent job with that. They even market to men. I'm going to go back to your affordability because I can't imagine that if you were looking at mass market advertising and the approach that Fashion Fair, Black Opal took, it would look a lot different, you know, that it is more affordable. They can target, they can find the influencers to speak to those very specific audiences um, because they're they're going they're going micro. Correct. I want to um, touch on our last topic, which is get local and specific. You know, here you are talking about very you've talked about very specific markets, but now how does that drill in to even look um, different regionally maybe? I love that you said regionally, because I think that the experience that, you know, Joan Driggs would have in Chicago versus a Joan Driggs in Miami, it's two different experiences for Joan. And so how you market to Joan Driggs in Miami, you know, selling her, you know, um, a really beautiful winter puff coat, it's probably not going to be ideal versus, you know, marketing that same puff coat to Joan Driggs in Illinois and Chicago. She's going to need it versus selling her skimmies in the winter. So what I what I mean by saying get local, get, get specific is that we're going to have very specific conversations with your preferred audiences. And I want us to really get in the weeds. I want us to get granular. I really want us to understand how digital marketing and these assets within paid media can really help us be successful. And so it's super important while we're using programmatics and we're showing the ads in real time to the right person through these exchange systems. Hey, let's have the proper people in front of the right person at the right time. So if we're going to use influencers, let's really get specific. Let's make sure that the representation makes sense. And let's make sure that we're getting the most bang for our buck. You know, um, for our new product pace setters, we highlighted some work that Molson Coors did with Vizzy, which was one of our 2021 pace setters. And Vizzy introduced a pride pack for June 2021, which was really great. Um, they also made a huge donation to human rights campaign. So this is like a bigger thing. But what I really admired about the brand is that they dug in and they had regional support. They kind of turned over their, their be visible campaign to local markets and really partnered with very local, um, LGBTIQ community organizations to kind of showcase their own personal stories and kind of lift them up at the local level, like make them be more seen locally within their own communities. 
And I really admired that because that is not mass marketing for a very large brand. It was very focused and very community centric. So I completely agree with you. Yeah, no, and I love that you use that example. And and actually, you know, even within multicultural audiences or influencer marketing, using local influencers, it really is ideal for like local businesses because majority of their followers will live in that area. So for example, for beauty brands like a fashion fair or Black Opal, if they're using an influencer that really centers, you know, a certain type of voice and messaging that aligns with their business in Chicago, in Atlanta, in DC, in Seattle, using influencers in that capacity. Um, it means that this partnership allocates an opportunity into tapping actually into a wider market of people who haven't heard of your brand in that market. Yeah. And we know the power of word of mouth too. So, you know, don't even think that it's going to stick locally because, um, you know, social platforms go across communities. So. And you can go viral at, at a heartbeat. You get the right person to put you on the TikTok and your TikTok. <laughs> oh, Greg, this has been so enjoyable. Um, so I want to recap by just encouraging listeners to go to our website, um, look up Greg's blog, for example, on the power of multicultural marketing to kind of recap some of these six key elements of really successful campaigns of do your homework, commit to the relationship, speak your audience's language, embrace the power of influence, understand the diversity within specific target markets, and get local and get specific. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you've got so many great stories. So I hope that you'll come back and, and join me again um, to talk up some of your fantastic work. No, I love that. And I want to offer this to the audience. I want everyone to know that I support emerging media platforms and I work very closely in influencer marketing. And a tip, just a little bit of a tip for some of my influencer marketing folks out there, pay attention to all the new platforms. Short form video is king because our attention span is as big as a gnat. You know, good habits beat high volumes, like-minded Concepts. So this is where the intersectionality comes into play. Understand the regulations and guidelines of all the platforms because you will be dinged and relationships with your partners, like i.e. your influencer partners, those relationships beat partnerships in, in, in the long run. So you partnering up with someone just to go live with a product and then kind of dropping that relationship. People see that. We notice when that influencer only had that deal once. So I just want to offer that as a little bit of feedback to my marketers. And Joan, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with you. I can't wait to come back more in the future and have some more engaging food for thought. And Greg, these are just, as you mentioned, these are just baby steps. And I mentioned at the outset, you know, I'm one of those people who I have to take a small step, step. And then take it again and take it again and take it again. So I think that what you're saying and all these last little hot tips is just get started. Just start that journey. Absolutely. It's it's kind of like looking at a toddler crawling, falling from crawling to kind of walking, then falling to actually walking. Then eventually at some point they're running out of control. <laughs> or me, you know, I put my foot into the pool. I don't just jump right in. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Greg. We'll talk again soon. Excellent. Thank you. Take care, child. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode.
Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insight. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.